Hey everyone, uh, David Drapkin here. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Know Who Drives Return by Boardroom Alpha. Today, it's my pleasure to welcome Matthew Tuttle. Matthew is CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Tuttle Capital Management. Uh, Tuttle offers actively managed thematic ETFs. Matthew is a, an, also an awesome follow on Twitter. If, uh, if you haven't checked him out, go check him out now. Matt, it's, uh, it's great to have you on and, and thanks for joining us today. Great, thanks for having me. Awesome. So, you know, first off, why don't, why don't you just give us a little background on yourself uh, and, and Tuttle Cap? You know, where do you come from and, and sort of what do you guys do? Yeah, so, um, you know, started off with you know, being in the, the brokerage firm industry and was appalled by what passed for advice, went to the insurance companies, was equally appalled, set up my own wealth management firm in 2003. Um, allocated to a bunch of supposedly absolute return money managers who ended up losing my clients, not as much money as the market in 2008, but more than you would expect from absolute return. So that kind of pissed me off, figured out the, you know, the only way to do it right is do it yourself. Then in uh, 2012, started having other financial advisors seeing what we were doing. And, you know, asked if we could do that for them. So set up my money management firm, then got sick of trading through custodians, Schwab, TD and Fidelity. So we started launching ETFs, uh, then had people come to us and say, hey, we see what you're doing in ETFs. Can you launch them for us? And we started doing that. And, you know, here we are. We've got some of our own ETFs. We've got some ETFs for other people. We've got some of our own ETFs we're going to be launching and a bunch of ETFs for other people we're going to be launching. Right, right. Uh, and we'll, we'll get into the specifics of, of, of some of your ETFs, but I'd like to think that you know, some of your ETFs can be thought of as very of the moment, um, you know, capitalizing on, you know, current trends. You know, we'll get to FOMO and, and the SPAC, et cetera. Um, do you believe that, you know, the market, current market's enabling them? Do you think this will be an enduring an enduring theme or, you know, you'll capitalize on these of the moment themes and be able to, you know, bang out EP, sorry, ETFs as, as topics arise? So, yeah. And, and, and I think the, the markets have fundamentally changed. You know, a lot of people kind of create parallels between what's going on now in the internet bubble. And I was around in the internet bubble. There are similarities, but there are massive differences. I mean, what's going on with retail investors, the connectivity, social media, all of these things are creating phenomenons that I believe are here to stay. And so one of the things that we really try to do is, is be able to be extremely agile mm -hmm. because the ETF industry is not set up for things to change. It's set up, you know, here's an index and we're going to rebalance it quarterly, semi-annually, but if market dynamics completely and totally change, yeah, we're, you know, we're kind of stuck in the old paradigm, nothing we can do. Right. So yeah, we're, we're going to be in, in, by our structure, we can adapt and get ETFs out very quickly if we see opportunity. Right. And how many ETFs do you, do you currently have going? So right now we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We have nine ETFs right now. Um, we have another one that we hope becomes effective middle of October. 
Then we've got a bunch of stuff in registration that hopefully will come out at some point this year. And then we're going to file for something that's going to be really interesting. Can't talk about it until we file for it, but hopefully we're going to file for that next week. Right. Right. I won't ask you to pick a favorite, but but maybe at the end. Uh, so let's start with with FOMO, one, one, one of the newer products, um, obviously capitalizing on, you know, the, the crazy year we've had this year, you know, the meme year with, with, with the Reddit Warriors and the Apes and the Game Stoppers. Uh, you know, when did you first have the idea for the FOMO ETF? Um, and can you talk a little bit about, you know, what goes in the FOMO ETF, what you're trying to target, um, you know, and how investors can, can make money off of that? So, you know, I've had the idea ever since we really saw what was going on with retail and really saw that there was, you know, there was this demand where retail investors were kind of pushing back, you know, after the the internet bubble, retail investors lost a ton of money Mm -hmm. and the brokers went back to them and said, look, leave it to the experts, buy index funds. And then COVID hits and all of a sudden people are making a lot of money. They're like, you know, I, you know, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to do some other stuff. And, you know, what we saw is the financial industry, you know, beyond a couple things, you know, ARC and some other stuff really wasn't serving that and wasn't serving it in a way that could be dynamic. Because to me, what FOMO is, is constantly or could be constantly changing, mm-hmm. you know. So right now we're doing a lot of these gamma squeezes and the DSPACs. You know that may be a phenomenon that goes away at some point. If it does, we'll move to something else. But that's just—it's something. If you have an index fund and you're seeing, you know, these stocks go up thirty percent for basically no reason, you can't capitalize on that. FOMO can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you have a sense for? Can you give us a sense for? Who, who the main participants are uh, in FOMO? Is it, you know, all Robinhooders? Um, do you see shareholders across demographics and, and, you know, and type of investor? So the, the thing about having an ETF is unless someone tells you, you really have no idea. Um, you know, there probably would be some do-it-yourselfers, but really, you know, if, if you read through you know, Twitter and the social media, a lot of these guys are actually doing it themselves. Mm -hmm. So this is really more for, you know, the guy who's sitting there saying, hey, you know, I got a nine to five job. I want to be able to participate in some of this stuff, but I can't sit there and watch it, you know, and and you have to. I mean, we Mm -hmm. had one of these gamma squeezes. It opened up up 33% today. We decided, you know, hey, we're going to VWAP it and, and get out over the morning. Uh, you know, we got out of it. Right now, it's only up 5%. Right. And we got out of it probably at an average price of up 20%. Yeah. You know, if I had a nine to five job, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be able to do that. So that that's really where we designed it for is someone who's like, hey, I'm, I'm worried about missing out, but I, I can't sit in front of my computer all day. Right. Yeah, they're really, those are really quick moving trades. Um, and, you know, on our side, we obviously follow the SPAC market and do all analytics there and look at those redemptions with low floats and gamma squeezes and, and, and people trying to get in. But to your point, you really, you really have to be um, on your toes in the know following this on a daily basis to really be able to capture it. So what you're saying is by, by, by participating in, in, in the FOMO ETF, that's one of the 
one of the strategies you employ to help get exposure to that without needing to be there on, on a daily basis doing it, right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so what's your view, st- sticking on the retail theme for, for just a second on this, you know, gambling versus investing um, theme that's going on, where to your point, retail traders on Twitter, on Reddit, really treating it more of like a, a, a game, if you will, um, versus when you think of a traditional ETF strategy, that's more of an investment. And so can you talk a little bit about you know, the balance between you know, the gambling side of the world and, and the investing side? Yeah, of the world? And, and, and really, I don't see it as gambling. I see what's really interesting is you've now got a large group of people all doing research, all helping each other out. You know, hey, what, what do you think of this? Oh, you know what? Look at this. Hey, you know, I thought this was going to go up. Why didn't it? Oh, you know what? You know, look at the S1. Look here. And, you know, so certainly there's some gambling. There's some people posting stuff that, you know, they got no idea what's going on. But I think that investing has fundamentally changed, or at least there's there's another side to it, where it used to be, you know, hey, growth and value. That was pretty much it. I'm either a guy who buys stocks that are growing or I'm a guy who buys stocks that are undervalued. And now you've got kind of this third leg that, you know, to me, done the right way is still investing. Mm-hmm. 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 And so do you think that, you know, the, the this memification, the gamma trade, this trend will, will last or... Um, as traditional return to work happens, offices open up again, um, that it'll go away in, in some capacity. Or the, or so the, the floodgates are open and access is there. And, and yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think this DSPAC gamma trade is going to last from the standpoint of, you know, I saw an article a while back saying, you know, hey, people aren't going to redeem uh, once they realize what's going on. But the problem is you've got a lot of pre-merger SPAC players. So we have FOMO, but we also have SPCX. Mm-hmm. SPCX is a pre-merger SPAC fund. Mm-hmm. And we only buy pre-merger SPACs and we're buying them under 10. And if we've got a deal that comes due and the thing's trading at 990 and we can redeem at 10, we're going to redeem at 10 in SPCX. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got an analyst who works on it. We we're just talking today about some of these, these gamma squeezes and he's lament. He's like, yeah. I, I mean, I can't. You know, we, we can't participate in these in SPCX because you know we get one wrong. You know, we we get killed because it's not what we do. But in FOMO, we can participate in that stuff. And I think there are a lot of pre-merger SPAC guys. You've got more people getting into that space now as a as a bond alternative. I mean, look, look what's happening to bonds today. Right. And, you know, in those guys have to redeem. They can't take the risk. You know, hey, it's at 990. I could get 10 or I take the risk and maybe it's four. Right. Right. You know, let's talk a little bit about that, because obviously, um, you know, that that trade, the, the pre-deal SPAC trade, exactly as you said, has sort of shifted from six months ago. It was, you know, what high quality sponsor can I buy at $11 pre-deal? Because we think it's going to go to 15 or 16, um, a deal announcement um, with literally everything essentially for the most part trading um, under 10 or under nav. We, we can talk about overfunded trust in, in a second as well, but with, with, with most things trading under, un, under nav, 
what do you look for um, besides just the cheapest one to buy in terms of a pre-deal SPACs? Do, you know, do, does the sponsor even matter anymore or is it, you know, what, what, what 4% can I get? Yeah, I mean, it still does. So, but the market's changed. I mean, back in January and February, we we were willing to offer up like our kids to underwriters <laughs> to get IPOs. Yeah, give me every any allocation I can get. Yeah, give, give me an allocation because first trade's going to be 10, 50 or 11 or 12. And, you know, that was great. Now the underwriters are begging us and we hardly participate in anything on the IPO. I mean, you know, look at that city deal that came out yesterday, you know, 982 last I looked. I mean, that, that, that's awful. It's yeah. just ugly. Yeah. So sponsor still matters because there are still too many SPACs chasing too few deals. And, you know, we think the market will settle out kind of like the private equity market where the best guys get the best deals and the marginal players are left with the scraps. Mm -hmm. So serial issuers, operators, guys who are BC guys, you know, that still matters. But now, you know, now we're looking at the terms. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, you guys see it. If you don't have an overfunded trust, your first trade is under 10. Uh, You know, we're looking, what are you doing on the warrants? What's the, you know, how long do you have to find a deal? You know, we're, we're, we're looking at all of that stuff. You know, do you have anchor investors? Not that important to us, but, you know, something that, that we look at. And, you know, again, we're, we're very, very selective on the deals that we participate in. Mm-hmm. And, and so you said you, you're, you're essentially not participating in, in new issues or, or, or very lightly participating in new issues. I mean, it, you know, it, it's got to be enticing to us to participate because, I mean, again, if I want it, you know, I'll buy it at 990. Right, right. <laughs> Why right. buy it at 10? Right. Um, and so by our count, there's called 450 um, pre-deal SPACs out there. Um, you know, what, what do you see happening um, to, to the majority of that supply, um, you know, we're you'd expect a, a, at least a larger wave of liquidations than you've historically seen um, in the past. But you're also probably going to see, you know, sponsors stretch stretch for deals just just to get anything done. Um, and, and so, how, how do you see that that dynamic playing out with like the glut of supply that exists? Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. I mean, crappy deals, uh, liquidations. And, you know, getting creative, looking in areas where maybe they hadn't looked at before. So we just had that, um, the, the Tiedemann deal, the, the RIA. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, and we're in that RIA money manager space. You know, that, that's been an area where I've always thought, you know, SPACs may come in and, and try to buy, you know, companies with assets under management. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think you'll probably see some creativity, you know, not everyone's going to be looking at clean energy and fintech and technology and cloud and 3D and, you know, all this stuff, you know, they're going to look at other areas because they're going to have no choice. Mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a mix of all of those things. Right. Maybe maybe some less flying car companies and and and. and <laughs> And businesses in, in, in areas that maybe weren't as popular. Right. We're we're not for sale, but yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, other guys like me, you know, I'm sure they're yeah. you know they're going to get a look. You should you should launch a, a spac and just spac yourself. You know, 
thought about it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, How do you see, what what do you think the best thing that could happen to, to the SPAC market is in the next six months? So, you know, right now, I think this really is the best thing. (laughs) You know, what, what was happening in January and February, it was fun while it lasted, but Mm -hmm. it was transitory. Right. I mean, our, you know, our pre-merger SPAC fund, you know, we launched it in December Mm -hmm. and we kind of assumed, you know, hey, a good year will be up 12%. I mean, we looked at it like people look at merger arbitrage funds where, you know, you buy a merger arbitrage fund, it's not correlated with stocks and bonds and you get three to 6% a year on average. We figured pre-merger SPACs, you can do better than that mm-hmm. and not be correlated with stocks and bonds. And we're sitting there February 15th and we're up 24%. <laughs> and it was great. Yeah. You know, we're killing the market, everything. But you're, you're looking at it, you're like, man, yeah. <laughs> you know, we're borrowing future returns here. This isn't realistic. And, you know, now we're up, you know, a little over 11%, which, you know, which is about right. But what you're seeing now is you're starting to see the fixed income guys get it. Mm -hmm. You know, they're looking, all right, interest rates are going up. Bonds are going to stink. You know, I can buy a SPAC at 970. And as long as I don't screw it up, I can get out at 10. Mm -hmm. And I've got, you know, I've got a term. Mm -hmm. You know, the SPAC's got 12 more months or or whatever it is, which means I got to yield to maturity. Mm-hmm. And I've got optionality. I mean, let's say the guy finds a kick-ass deal and I get out at 1020, even better. Right. So those guys have figured it out. The, the merger arbitrage guys haven't figured it out yet. You know, guys who are typically buying merger arbitrage funds, you know, and we wrote a paper that's on my website about how, you know, pre-merger SPACs are better. Uh, but yeah, I, I think those guys will figure it out at some point as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think all that's right. And, you know, while, you know, it's not as sexy as, a, as, a, as it was, you know, during the peak, to your point, um, it seems like quality sponsors will, will emerge as the winner. Um, there's still, you know, low risk, you know, juicy returns to be had. Um, and then, you know, as the market continues to evolve with, you know, better alignment between sponsors and economics um, and, you know, performance based you know, earnouts for, for sponsor shares and, and all that jazz, you know, it could only mean for, you know, higher quality, you know, SPACs that are, that are, that are out there in the future. So I think, I think we're. Yeah. And, and also, I mean, you're, you know, you're not having too many IPOs. I mean, I forget what it was back in the day, but it, it, was you know, crazy. it seemed like there are five to 10 IPOs every single day. Yeah. At least like 10 IPOs a day, 20 more on file. Um, you know, at least for us, it was hard to keep up. Uh, you know, this week there's been, I don't know, three or four. Um, and to your point, every single one is overfunded for the most part. Um, and, and, and so it's interesting to see that the cadence, you know, really slow down, um, you know, and some, and some conversations we've had with sponsors, it seems to be like, let's let this thing clear out a little bit, um, you know, before we, we, we hop in with our next thing. Yeah. Um, right, so let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, can you talk about fat? And tail risk and, and sort of what you see there. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, if you ask what my favorite fund is, you know, FOMO, I guess, is number one because it's more fun. Yeah. But I mean, Fat T is, is a close second. You know, that's, 
you know, we kind of look at two things when we're launching funds. Number one is what do people want? And it's just not out there. Number two is what should people want? And it's not out there. And the tail risk fund falls under the what what people should want. The way we designed it is to be a positive carry tail risk fund, meaning it can make money the 99.9% of the time the market's up. It's not going to make a lot. You know, we're looking, try to make bond-like returns when the market's going up. And then it's designed to, you know, in a big decline, you know, COVID, a 2008 type of scenario, you know, to make as much on the downside as the market, or make as much on the upside as the market makes on the downside. And we designed it that way so that it's something that you don't have to time. You can just say, hey, I'm going to put, you know, 10. I mean, I've got 25% of my personal portfolio in it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it normally just kind of chugs along. And, you know, then if the market blows up, it'll, it'll go up and it'll be there. So that's what it's designed for. And so how is it, how is it currently positioned, would you say? So the way we do it is we have two asset, two types of assets in there. We have volatility and we use the, you know, the volatility exchange traded products because when the market does crumble, that's really the only thing guaranteed to do well. You know, treasuries, you never know. Gold, you never know. Volatility is going to be there for you when you need it. Mm-hmm. And then we have the indexes the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Dow, because what happens is when the market's going up, volatility is going to bleed, but it's going to be a slow bleed to the downside. And you have the equity indexes in there to try to offset the bleed and earn a little bit of money. And then what we do is we ramp the volatility up and down, because what happens is in a big market sell-off, volatility will spike way more than the market goes down. So Mm -hmm. on... um, the sell-off day, I forget, where third, what was it, Tuesday or was it Monday when the market sold off? Monday or Tuesday on, on other Yeah, day. I mean, it, you know, one point, the volatility exchange traded products were up 18% right. that day right. when the market's down like, you know, one and a half to yeah. two, yeah. you know, volatility got cut into the close. But, you know, we were having a really good day that day because, you know, we had like 10, 15% in volatility and it was up 18%. Right. And so that that's how those things are. That's how it's designed. That's that's uh, super interesting. And so on, on that point, you know, the, when the market dips on on Monday, um, you know, maybe not directly related to your products per se, but, um, you know, there was a ton. There's this big debate going on versus, you know, buy the dip versus everything's already overvalued like crazy. How do you how do you, where do you land in that in that debate? So I think you've got to look beyond the S&P 500. If you look beyond the S&P 500, you realize everything isn't overvalued. You know, but the S&P 500 is a market cap weighted index. So mm-hmm. what, 25% of its fang, you know, that stuff probably is somewhat overvalued. But then you look kind of beyond that. And I mean, you've got a lot of stocks, a lot of areas in, in correction territory, So, you know, what we're seeing is we're seeing these rolling corrections. So everyone is saying, hey, the market, you know, the S&P hasn't been down 5% since like October of last year. That's not healthy. 
but you look at sectors and themes and memes and different stocks, you know, a lot of them have gotten crunched and then they come back. So money is just flowing from one area to another. And, you know, you can keep that going for a while. I don't know how long, but you can keep it going for a while. And so, you know, that that's why I think that by the dip will work until the catalyst is something real. And this whole, you know, Evergrande thing could be real. Right, right now, the market's saying it isn't. Right. Um, I'm hoping that's right. But, you know, anytime that. you get something with property, I mean, it brings back, you know, post-traumatic stress from 2008. Right. Buy the dip because I have FOMO, perhaps, right? <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> Uh, earlier, you mentioned uh, when we were talking about some of the themes of this year um, with, with the retail boom, uh, you mentioned Kathy Wood. So we, we did notice that you, you have filed for, a, if, if I stand correct, a short ARC ETF. Uh, what, what, what's the status there? How, how, are you, how are you thinking about you know, rolling that product out? So, you know, obviously it's not effective, so I can't talk a lot about it. But mm-hmm. the goal is that that would be out sometime mid-October. Got it. Okay. If, you know, all the timelines line up, that would be our goal. We'll have to, we'll have to get you back to, to discuss that uh, after we've seen some, some returns there. Cool. And so, you know, if I had, if I had $100, uh, which, uh, which, which Tuttle-sponsored ETF should I buy? Yeah, I mean, have to be FOMO. Got to be FOMO? Got to be FOMO. Capitalize, huh? Yeah. Awesome. Well, really, really appreciate your time. Um, certainly some very interesting products out there that are, that are topical, um, you know, capitalizing on, on the trends, particularly with FOMO and, 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 and the pre-deal SPAC and the DSPAC ETF. So um, been fun to watch, been fun to watch you guys and then excited to, to see what comes next. Sounds good. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, Matt. All right. Thanks. <laughs>